Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am Laura Chestikoff from Firebird Summit. Hey, everybody. It is Lawrence Henderson, and I'm glad to be back with you, Laura, once again. No, we missed you. It's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, I've been a lot going on, but uh, again, that's that's everybody probably probably has that that same sad song with the violin playing. <laughs> well, to be fair, considering how many people are unemployed or underemployed or in trouble, I will take being overly busy. Yeah, I and yeah definitely. Me too. Okay. Well, so as far as topics for this week go, I do have one. Okay. So, um, you know, I think it's. It's something that is kind of uh, applicable to being in a weird economic environment as well. But, you know, I was talking to, to a friend a few days ago about what happens when you find yourself kind of in, in a point, either, either in your career generally, or even just specifically in a job where you're kind of boxed in, right? You're, you're there because you have family obligations, you have things you have to do, but you're finding it ethically compromising and sort of a soul suck. And you've kind of hit a point where you, you recognize that, you know, for your family, for your personal life, you need to stick it out. And you just have to figure out how to, how to get through. And you're not, you're not yet in a position to make a change. So that's the question. How do you, how do you deal with kind of buckling down and doing what you need to do? even though you might have some big objections, either either ethical objections or just, you know, soul-sucking objections, whatever it is. Um, but you gotta, you gotta write it out. Yeah, that's a that's a huge one. Yeah, you you weren't playing um with with the this one's messy. Um I I, I and what comes up for me is of several series of life. Um again, uh, those of you that have we had don't know I was 12 and a half years active duty in the military and um to say I loved every single thing I did in the military um I would be 100% lying to you um to say I wanted to deploy um I'd be lying to you but doing what I have to do in that season of life was definitely the right call um now ethics did come into it in certain assignments um, with certain leaders, which made dangerous situations even more life-threatening um, because I was physically, mentally, and emotionally disturbed um, by these leaders that, again, we were flying under the same banner of values and everything else, but there was this conflict. Um, and it kind of, that situation, military kind of came to a head for me even though I didn't have a, a next, um, me and my wife sat down and was like, okay, as a family, is my well-being valued more than doing what we have to do? And 
that really ultimately was the decision that I had to make. And then later in life, um, just at the top of this year, um, resigning from my last position. And, and you got to understand, this is pre-COVID. I made a decision to leave an organization. And I, I literally said it, it's not you, it's me, that I'm no longer going to say yes to violating myself just to do what I ought to do. And again, uh, and again, the scenario, and paint the picture for you, Laura, is getting paid the most money I've ever got paid in my life. Like to say, and again, was I being selfish to stay for monetary gain, but to continue to suffer? I, I really believe when we, people have to make these decisions, you the, the pros and the cons of, of self and the ripples of a whole you versus a hurt you. Um, and, and, and to me, hurt me was hurting my entire world. My entire sphere was being harmed by me continuing to go into that situation every single day. And because I was the common denominator, I had to make a decision to do something about it. And I chose myself, I chose my peace, I chose my wholeness um, over the monetary gain or the resource um, that was there for me. And I launched myself in, into to something I was calling purpose, but ultimately I was just running for the heels. <laughs> that's, that's really what I was doing. Um, because again, it was harming me physically, mentally, and emotionally and, and spiritually. So, so, and I, and I agree every time I have walked away from a very lucrative role, it's been for that reason. And then there have been other times, but, but there's also a part of me that recognizes there's a lot of privilege in having that choice. Right. And, and you've said it before how, yeah. you know, you and your wife had been very good stewards of your yeah, financial situation so that you, you were in a position to be able I to was. stay okay, look, if I don't have an income yeah. for X amount of time, we will be okay. Your wife has an income, you know, and, and, you know, the woman that I was specifically talking to yeah. about this this week, you know, she's a single mom. Yeah. She's got, she's got kids, one of whom has a chronic illness who she can't give up her health insurance because obviously at the moment we have, we have a Supreme court case going into <sighs> like three weeks trying to undermine pre-existing conditions, which, you know, anybody who has chronic illnesses right now, that's a really, oh, a self-employed person or a, an unemployed person or underemployed person who has to pay for their own health insurance, like, you know, that's a scary prospect, right? And especially if you've got, if you've got people that you're responsible for. And so I think, you know, one of the things that, that I keep kind of struggling with is with her and that we've been going through a number of times, you know, and I've done it, I've come back to this several times in my, in, you know, my, my non-coaching career, because there's a lot about what the industries that I have spent a lot of my life in that I, I, I don't, I don't like what they've turned into. Like, I don't, and I don't, you know, I kind of dread the idea that my epitaph is that it's like, wow, dude, I don't want like my life's work <laughs> to be that that's, that's not like, you know, it's like, you know, uh, okay, I can do it for a while. I can do it for a little bit. I can do it part-time. I can do whatever, but like, that's not, that's not a meaningful pursuit for me. And it's definitely not what I want as a legacy. But on the other hand, I also, again, don't have, you know, kids who need health insurance. 
uh, with, with, you know, chronic pre-existing conditions that need, you know, that need to kind of require a higher degree of sacrifice from me. And so I think for me, the thing that came up when I was talking to her was, um, you know, we can talk about our values a lot. And obviously we do. And as coaches, that's a big topic for us. Uh, every once in a while, like I start talking to people who, you know, are not exposed to coaching and they don't necessarily ever stop to think about it. And I'm like, really, how do you not think about it? Because <laughs> I think that's really important. Um, but, you know, the truth is, is that sometimes those values run counter to our responsibilities. You know, if you are, if you are the primary breadwinner for your family, your values are not less important, but they're not the only factor you have to balance. And so part of that is trying to figure out what, what my, what my responsibilities to my family are versus, you know, what my responsibilities to myself. And, you know, I think I, I think I must have been in college where we were discussing the fact that, you know, fundamentally sort of the true heart of any human tragedy is when those things are in conflict with each other, right? And you have to pick one or the other, and something has to be sacrificed in order to meet the needs of something else. And, you know, I think sometimes it's it's maybe overly easy to talk about our values when the truth is our values don't always get to make the call, right? Our values, you know, so I have I've an ongoing situation with my grandmother who's in California and she's got, you know, her, you know, she's got all the normal stuff that happens when you're 90 years old and you know, you're trying to continue living alone, but you're probably not really able to keep doing that, but you're still stubborn because you're still used to being able to do it. Like, you know, the, the back and forth stuff. And I find just in daily conversations that I have with her, I find a lot of conflict between, you know, what, what I value, you know, and, and for me, it's, it's authenticity and freedom are my two like big, huge, you know, tattooed on my arm, which I'm wearing long sleeves today, so you can't see, but like they're, you know, those are the big things for me, but, but what does freedom mean? And sometimes some of those things change over time, right? Like my grandmother is almost 90 years old. Her, what, what means something for her for freedom and what means something for me at 45 are probably got to be two different things. Um, you know, I'm not, she's, she's, uh, she's the point where she's, gotta have a walker and she had to buy a scooter and she's losing her eyesight. So freedom and what that, that can be for her has to change because she has other dependencies and other considerations. And I think this is where, um, you know, I, to, and to be fair to your point, right? I think this is where what is important to me becomes really, really important to be clear about because I can say, certain things are really important and certain things matter to me and my ability to, you know, show up a certain way is, is predicated on, you know, this list of things. But the truth is there are other people who depend on me and there are other places where I have to be able to say, okay, look, this might not be what I would ever choose, but, you know, in my role as a partner, as a granddaughter, as a daughter, as whatever, I have to balance what's what's more important there. And, and I think that part is really hard. And I think sometimes it's difficult if you don't stop and look at at where, where you are within that relationship or within that that context, right? Yeah. And what and what, what comes up for me, and, and I love that um you, you brought up it's a privilege to make those types of decisions that are true for you. Um, but I think about the, the moment, and again, 
people depending on me? Like, when was the last time I was in a position where people were depending on me? Um, and there was there were kind of two phases, right? It was the transitioning me, um, and then early on, super newly married me. Um, in both of those scenarios, it was get along to get along kind of kind of kind of scenarios and mindsets and um but i could recall going deep right right like you like you described uh this this young woman um of hey i just gotta i just gotta do what i gotta do but then i i, I reframed what would it look like to be intentional to really go after desires like to me like what if i frame this as this is my opportunity to go after everything and anything that i want like what do i have to lose like it was like almost that mindset of what do i have to lose um or what's the best that could happen right and and again because i'm the and the reason why and during this time it was when i really reframed i'm either winning or losing to i'm either winning or i'm learning how to win because there was such a, a visceral, emotional clenching of my body and my thoughts when thinking about losing. Because in that frame, I thought total destruction, catastrophe for my family. So I was like, I need to stay at this higher place of energy. Before I ever even learned about um, IPEC and, and energy leadership, um, I was already beginning to process because I knew if I allowed myself to go there, I went to those dark places before and I didn't, it was a scary, scary place. Right. And again, big, big, broad shouldered guy. Yes. It was a scary place for me to even process that, but I was like, okay, but I need to continue moving forward, but how can I frame this so that I could use this? Um, and it was really me going in and saying the best that could happen is me to try and multiply opportunities to build community and build reps with anybody and everybody. And, and I think one of the things we always talk about is creating community, being intentional about the community that we create. And to me, I now understand that is not to create it when you're in need, but to create it in these environments. So when now, when you do come into a place of need, you now have more people that can multiply your message. And it was in that season of life where I didn't have a network, right? Every duty station <laughs> before that point would transition out of the military, I was assigned friends. I was assigned a network, but now I had to authentically build this community of people who would be my antennas and my, my tentacles to, to go reach out and, and talk to people on my behalf. Um, and again, I, this, I, this season of life for everybody, if, if there's one thing that people should get out of this is to build authentic community. And again, and, I, and I'll continue to say until I'm blue in the face about you um, and Paul and some others, just to build community in an authentic way that when we sit in a room, I'm constantly, when I sit with clients now, I'm thinking about Alora. Like I'm, I am. Like I'm, well, that's, I'm that, that's an unfortunate distraction, well, pal. Well, well, not, well, I'm thinking about in the way that I know you're strategic and I know what you want to do. I know the types of clients that you desire to have. Well, how would I know that? Because we've had those offline conversations about if it was a perfect scenario, what's your ideal client? And I believe that only happens in moments of when it's not a need. When you were going through your thing in Miami, like I still process 
you sending out the bat signal and say, hey, y'all, if y'all got, <laughs> if y'all, if y'all got a client, I'm, I'm talking about it. And at, and at that point, I heard it in your voice. I heard, but it was very, it was careful. It was authentic. It wasn't very beggy, so it didn't feel dirty. And it, it was like, Allura's not holding the sign, but Allura's throwing up the bat signal and she needs help. And, and so for me, I believe that's what creating an authentic community is about, because even now that you're in a position with a client and, and you're, you know, doing well, um, I still am constantly thinking about, hey, before she needs it, yeah. let me let me create the opportunity or even the space for her to maybe, you know, do a consultation or two along the way. You know, it's really great that that you come back to that because to me, that's actually probably the thing when I when I work with anyone who's telling me I feel stuck, I hate this job, I hate my boss, I hate what we're doing, I hate whatever it is, but uh, you know, my my spouse is unemployed, or I can't, you know, my family's relying on our on our health insurance and or whatever it is, right? And there's there's always some version of of set of handcuffs, and they're not always real. Sometimes they really are just a a function of our uh, way of looking at them. Um, some of it can be handled with some good reframing. Sometimes it, it really is like you, you know, you can't go someplace else until you, you know, find someplace else that's going to cover, cover your costs. And in some cases, you know, I mean, this was the biggest challenge I had. It's why I started focusing on coaching, which is because I, I had spent my whole career in an industry that's moved into a, a place that I just don't like what it's become. And unfortunately for me, I was in a very niche industry. I was well compensated for work that as it just happened, I didn't want to be doing anymore. I didn't like the bigger context. My role didn't matter so much because there were so many things about what it was and what it was doing and its place in the world and how it evolved. And I'm just like, I want off this train. Like, I don't want to, I don't do, let's be done. Like, I'm forget this stuff. Let's go back to ground zero. But the truth is, it's, there's a certain gravitational force that that makes getting out of that hard. Some of it is your network. You know, who do you know? Well, as it happens, everybody I know knows that I used to do that. So, hey, Laura, great. I got this thing. Let's go, you know. And so there's there's some of that that you can't ever completely escape. But I think what I come back to with, with people who are very focused on, holy shit, I just have to find a way to get up every day is, okay, first and foremost, make sure you understand what you need, right? What is, what is the true, true need? It's not, it's not just the security of a job because that's a false security that uh, we all have to work. We all have to come to terms with at some point in time, but is it, do you need, you know, a certain amount of health insurance? Do you need a certain amount of income? Do you need, you know, what is it exactly that you need? Let's get super specific because like a lot of worst case scenario prophesizing, if you don't, if you don't nail it down, it seems bigger, scarier, and harder to actually manage than if you get super tactical. Great. How much? Okay, great. I know exactly how much I have to bring in every single month, or I know that it has to involve this kind of health insurance. And I think the thing that, that I find more than anything else is once you get really specific about what it is, all of a sudden it becomes infinitely easier to find other possible avenues to get there. But even if there isn't a short-term avenue to do that, I think the other piece that becomes really important is exactly what you said, right? Take this time. This time, you know what? You can you can punch a clock on the job. If what you have to do is just punch a clock and do it, 
and take advantage of the breathing room that it gives you to try to do what you want to do next. If that's networking, it's networking. If it's taking advantage of somebody paying for you to get, you know, certified in something or educated about something, then do that. Whatever it is, figure out what resources you are being given access to and how do you maximize those for your next move. And I think that that if you can start doing that, then even if you hate everything you do from nine to five, it makes it a little bit easier to remind yourself that you're working towards a post-agony scenario um, and keeps your eye on the ball. Definitely. And 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 I and I like to to point out um just something that e- even as you were just describing the your your have-to moments and doing what you gotta do and even working for people, and again, you you identifying tick marks like I will never work for this person or this type again but this is why this was this was my why right it was it was a means to an end and and i'm so thankful it ended um kind of kind of scenarios but you didn't lose sight of what it is that you wanted which is which is really really hard when when you're the near is it's right in front of your face right it, that's the stuff right it's the tunnel vision you got the blockers on because you have the have to's um, and, and I would say, yes, the have to's, those are the ones that are probably most dangerous, um, that, that are going to cause you probably the most stress, keep you up at night, keep, keep those in front of you. So you knock those targets down, but don't lose sight of where you're wanting to go. Um, because I believe it's when we lose sight that those opportunities that come along that begin to pay the bills again that begin to give us some health insurance, that begin to tick those boxes off of Maslow's hierarchy of need, that I believe that's where people get complacent and, and stop because they're like, you know what? I'm not gonna mess up this, this good thing. And, and so they, they go and the next thing you know, it's 20 years later, right? right? And, 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 I, and we, talk, we talk to these people in transition coaching all the time, right? I, I got several clients that are mid, late, 50s that are like okay I did that thing that I had to do for 30 years now I'm ready to shift but then part of the mindset for them is I believe I'm over the hill like what you're young let's do it (laughs) you know what I love about what you just said though and I think this is this is it's the reason I love it I love using it as a tool as mad was hired right because there, there are different points in your life mm-hmm. and you can say, Hey, great. I'm really, I'm really much closer to the top and other points where dude, we got to take care of what's at the bottom. You know, one of my, one of my best friends is, is, has been living where she's been living for 25 years because she is her grandmother's caretaker. Her grandmother is 96 years old. Her grandmother, everything about that. So she is, she knows that the moment her grandmother goes, she is free to pick up and move to where she wants to move. She's going to leave that part of the country. She, she and her, her partner are ready to go there. But until grandma's gone, that's it. She has to stay. She's the only member of her family taking care of her grandmother. She's the only member of her family who can take care of her grandmother. She is staying. And again, this is where 
I think sometimes looking at, at your life and the things that are, are drawing you in or the things that are making you get up in the morning or feel compelled to do something. I think if you, if you really map those against Maslow's hierarchy, right, which, which things are hitting which tier in that pecking order. Um, and I think sometimes if you're struggling with priorities, you know, values are super important, but in many respects, that's the self-actualization part, right? And that's the top of Maslow's hierarchy. And in a perfect world, we would all have the opportunity to get to that point. But A, you got to eat first and you got to not be homeless and worry that you're going to be murdered before you make it to breakfast in the morning. Like that's, and that's, and that's a fundamental thing. And this is where, to my point earlier, right? It's, it is an enormous, wonderful, glorious privilege that you had to be able to say, I am leaving this job where I made a good living because it is sucking my soul out through my nose. I cannot do it anymore. Um, and, and you, but you had to get to a point of being able to say that, right? That, that was not, you could not have done that if you guys hadn't been able to say, you know what, we can afford this. Or, hey, you know what, this is important to me because I've done this work and I know it's important, right? It wasn't a fit of just, oh, I had a bad day with my boss, right? I think this is another thing that comes up when I talk to people a lot is that, you know, I was, I was, I was just, uh, I was just doing a session with someone who was, is struggling, has a new job and a new boss and is struggling to find like a common ground. Well, that, and you know, we all know that's normal, right? Working styles are not automatic. You really, you have to work at that. Um, but you have to be prepared to work at that. It can't just be, oh shit, I don't like my job. I'm going to quit. Like, cause that, that's just, that's spoiled, right? That's just, that's, that's overly indulgent. That's not, look, your relationship with your boss is like any other important relationship in your life. And let's be clear, that is an important relationship in your life. Might not be somebody you have one with or that you would have chosen to have one with, but in terms of your daily mental health, your relationship with your boss is a truly important, significant influence on how you get through your week. And so that has to be a relationship you're prepared to invest in trying to make work. Now, I'm not, I would never suggest that you have to go all in and it's all or like, no, because some of them are just not going to work, but you have to try and a new job there's an adjustment period. It's like dating. You're not going to, you know what, if it turns out that he, you know, whatever, that somebody you're dating is doing something that you don't like, you know, you have two choices. Is this a non-starter or is this like a sort of annoying, but you'll figure you'll work it out. Like, and, and the same is true with the boss or with anybody else. And so I think that's part of it. And that's, again, it's, it's why, why I find Maslow's hierarchy enormously valuable when you're talking to somebody, right? Because it's like, okay, am I in danger of being homeless? Because if you're in danger of being homeless, the yeah. things that you have to be worried about are very, very different than if that's not part of your just day-to-day -day paradigm of concern. And so I think that's that's a really valuable tool. And you know, it's so funny because I feel like there's so many... Um, psychological and sociological tools that as coaches we look at and we're like oh that's really useful and if if someone hasn't actually experienced applying that to themselves in a way they're mm -hmm. like whatever yeah i learned about that in school but exactly. like why is that like what the hell does that actually matter to me in my life and the thing is i think it can matter mm -hmm. if you look at it and if you use it as a lens for how you're kind of organizing yourself right am i in danger of being homeless 
no, probably not. I'm okay. Okay, great. Then we can move up a little bit, right? And, and my my relationships, like what's okay. So if I if I get pissed at my boss, or you know, I decide I can't take my job anymore and I quit, is that gonna mean that my grandmother can't stay in her senior care facility? Okay, well that's maybe so maybe that becomes a driver for me. I know that my grandmother being homeless wouldn't be bad. It's not me being homeless, but it's my grandmother being homeless because she's depending on me and my ability to pay her bills or whatever it is. And so I think that's really sometimes the only way to help kind of refocus, right? When you're feeling like you're being pulled in directions you don't want to be pulled in or you're, you feel like I'm, I'm working for a boss that I really can't stand, or I'm working for a company that I find ethically dubious at best or whatever it is, right? Sometimes the only thing I know to do is to come back and say, right, where does this fall? Like, how does this serve me? Is this actually serving something that truly matters to me? Or is it just fueling my ego because I don't want to give up a big paycheck or whatever else, right? And I think when you start getting really clear about, about that, it makes it much easier to say, yeah, you know, I don't need to put up with your shit. I'm out. Bye. Or, all right, nope. My grandmother being able to stay in her home, that's, that's important. And I am just going to have to count to 10, go for a walk, go yeah. for a run play with the dog, whatever I need to do to get it out of my system and then come back and focus because I am not, because my role as a member of this family who contributes to the well-being of my grandmother, if that's the case, that is fundamentally important to me. She's not going to be around forever. It's not a permanent situation, but it is what it is now. And right now I am needed to help make sure that that situation doesn't change. So if I can find a way out, great. But for now, what that does mean is I don't get to throw a temper tantrum, tell my boss to screw himself and I'm out. Yep. Now, what, what comes up for me in, in what you described there, it, it makes me think about um, the, the concept of reason seasons and, and, and lifetime scenarios. And, and really, what's the reason behind why, why you're doing a thing? And, and, and is that a seasonal thing, right? And, and you brought up your friend and again, understanding that, you know what, grandma is a priority right now. And I think about one of my wife's good friends um, who, who just had a passing of, of her mother. There was a season of taking care of home care of nurses. And, and that season is now over, but the entire family was experiencing it. Right. And not just that individual, but the, the family was in a season of, hey, we got to do what we got to do in this season. Right. The husband, the kids, the, everybody was involved. And I believe one thing that you described there is, are we communicating effectively and identifying and labeling correctly? Right. So that we begin to see the truth of a situation. And again, uh, and one thing that another coach um, talked to me about is, are we just evaluating our situation? Or are we actually observing what's going on with us in this moment, right? Are, are you feeling your feels? Are, is your body the heat? What's your body doing? And then what, what are you thinking about? What are the urges you're having? What are the behaviors that are happening as a result of all of that stuff? And once you become aware and you become conscious of these different reasons, these seasons and these lifetimes, I believe, we then can become and, and make more informed decisions. And one of the things that 
I became Cree, like really aware of. And I think the army at the time, it sucked um, that me and my wife had to move five times in 12 years. Um, and, and if it was a, wasn't a deployment, we were moving every two. But I thank them today is because we process every role we have in a seasonal type mm -hmm. of role. And so it kept, it gave us this mindset of don't be married to this situation. Right. Understand this is, this is a season. And again, the seasons of growth, right? And thinking about us as individual contributors, then are you thinking about yourself as, as first line leadership? Then are you thinking about yourself as a middle manager? And there was these seasons that the army automatically placed in me and my wife's life to where now on this side of life, or even over the past six years, almost six years since I've been out, about every 24 months, we take this family evaluation of our current situation and see, are these the best, are we in the best possible situation that we could have as a family? And so we've built layers to the privilege. And going back to Maslow, there's now not just self-actualization, but transcendence to where now me and my wife, we desire to help others. And so we've self-actualized and we understand what's right for us, but now we wanna affect those around us in our sphere of influence. And so even in the midst of COVID, we're like, who can we help? Mm -hmm. Who can we reach out to? And, and I really believe at us as a community, we need to multiply that. We need to put ourselves in positions to share how we got there. But there was a lot of intention. There was a lot of thinking about it when we didn't have to, mm -hmm. so that in the event of something, when we got to that moment where I said, babe, I'm gonna quit. We did the family evaluation thing real quick. Okay, we're good. You don't, mm -hmm. we're not in a have to scenario. So do what you believe is helpful for you and the family and we'll, we'll make it, right? And, and again, but it's the intention leading up to that moment, right? That we treated and we were honored and we reverenced every situation we were in. Um, and again, that's gonna look different for everybody. And again, I, I believe one of the biggest things, Allure, that people need to do in this season of life is continue to give yourself grace, continue to give yourself a break, um, continue to love on yourself, hug yourself if you need to, um, but don't isolate. Well, and I think another point that you yeah. that you brought up is also recognize that not everything has to be permanent. And I think Boom. this is so hard for so many people, right? Because we get caught up in our day-to-day -day life and it's just, you know, it is what it is. And it's like, well, no, it is what it is now. And there might be reasons that it has to be what it is now, but that doesn't mean it has to stay, right? And I think for me, the grandmother thing keeps reminding me of this, right? Like mine is 90, my, my friend that I was talking about hers is 96, like, or 97, I think at this point, you know, but like, they're not gonna be around forever. Like they require a certain amount of time and attention and care and, and financial support and whatever it is right now, that's not permanent. You know, and, and while yes, there is some day, there are, there are days when I just think, oh God, not again, shit. Um, you know, but on the other hand, it's like, you know what I also know in, in my case in particular, she's the last of my grandparents. She only, she's the last one remaining. She's going to be gone and there's not going to be anymore. And, 
there are things that I couldn't do for the other ones because I was not in a position at that point in time. And, and so like, I think that's part of part of the reframing exercise that's also got some value is it's not gonna last forever. So how do you wanna, how do you wanna look back on it and know that you showed up, right? How, how, how do you wanna look back and see, yeah, you know what? situation might have made me crazy or whatever, but at least I did what I could with what I had at the time. You know, and I think that that for me, there's a certain amount of like just making lemonade that I think is has value in situations where you know there's not a lot else I can do. Like sometimes it's just a matter of take a deep breath, count 10, and what, how do I make the best out of this situation? You know, I mean when my career started moving in a direction that I hated, and it wasn't because of my role or anything else. It was just because the industries that I was involved in were moving in a direction that I just, it, a, it took all the fun out of it for me, but it also cre started creating some real ethical problems for me. And I was just like, well, now, now what? And so I, I stayed in those roles and I stayed in that career for a long time after I wanted out because I shifted my focus, right? Instead of just being about, you know, this, oh, we're going to build a company that does this which got tired, it was, okay, no, I, I want to be a good manager. I want to understand how to manage people. I want to understand how to mentor and grow these. So as I got older, they got younger, <laughs> you know, kids under me, like that became more important. And I could, I could kind of figure out a way to live with like just the crap that I didn't like because I could focus on the part that I could still care about and that I could still find meaningful and valuable. Um, and it didn't negate the, you know, oh God, look who I'm working for. Oh, Jesus, this is bad. You know, it didn't, it didn't, didn't change any of that. Um, but it does, it does help remind you that, you know what, sometimes you just have to come back to Maslow's hierarchy. What is it that you have to do? You know, I don't know if you ever seen the movie Margin Call. Um, it's about the early days of the of the financial collapse in 2008. And one of the great things, aside from the fact it's got a great cast and it's actually really well done, um, one of the things that's very telling about the movie is you can see they do a very good job of showing how in a situation of a lot of morally dubious decisions that were made that, that created the economic collapse in 2008, you could see a lot of people who had had concerns or had places where what they were doing was starting to bother them or starting to rub up against their values and what they thought was important. And the tug of war between my family or these other people that I'm responsible for. And to be fair, in some ways it helped kind of justify why the situation ended up where it did, which is obviously not good, but it does show that sort of fundamental and very human dilemma of great. I don't want to work for a fracking company, but you know what? I have, I have, you know, a kid with cerebral palsy who needs like serious medical like care like that, you know, and there, there's always that back and forth. And we always have to, I think, to your point, allow ourselves a little bit of grace around the fact that sometimes we have to make decisions that would not be our first choice. But I think the important thing about making good decisions is that you have to recognize that. And maybe that is what it has to be today. But that doesn't necessarily mean it has to stay that way tomorrow. And the only way to know that is to be clear and to say, look, if for the next whatever year and a half or however long that I have to continue to support my grandmother, 
I have to be here and buckle down and this is where I have to be, then how do I make the most of it? What, what networking do I do? What training, what, like what, whatever I need to do, take advantage of that and get it done so that when the day happens and sad as I'll be, whatever freedom comes with that, I am then in a position to say now, what matters to me? What can I do that actually will mean something? And what can I shed? I, lo- I absolutely love that. Um, and, and I think you just highlighted though the place that I'm currently at that I want to maintain. I like, I so want to maintain that and let my, my yeses be my yeses. Um, and like a client helped me, um, that's in the, and you, you love this from the retail space. It's not a no, it's a yes, however, or a yes, and, or a yes, yes, but, but. yes, yes but. but it's a yes, but right. The, the long way to know, or a yes, but with a, with a question, is there a better option? Is that the priority right now? And I think having that yes, but with a question has helped me begin to filter. Is that really a, is it at hard? No, or is that a not right now? And, and I think that in, in what you said is not closing the door or not even making things, stamping things as permanent. Like this is just my plight in life. No, yeah, no, that's, I think no. that's the worst way to mess with your own head. Yeah. Oh my God. If that's seriously. And like when, you know, and it's, it's funny cause I've never had like any kind of severe depression problems. Mm-hmm. But when I think about, you no, know, this is just my, just my lot in life. Like, yeah. Dude, if, if, if that's the way you're thinking about it, I can totally understand why somebody would be like, oh, well, screw this, man. I'm going to yeah. go drink a bottle of vodka and take a, and take a bottle of pills. Like screw mm-hmm. Like you, you, the moment you are, and it's even something good, right? Because I think this is, and I think to your point earlier about networking also, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that's always the hardest is when you have somebody who's had a good career for a really long time, they never took it for granted or they, they kind of took it for granted. They never, you know, made any contingency plans and all of a sudden what the company closed down or just like a massive, whatever happened. And now they're standing around going, well, shit, now what? Like, I don't, I, everybody I knew, I've worked at the same company for 25 years. Everybody I knew worked there and now we're all laid off. Like how, how, like, and they're completely just dumbfounded about what to do is that part of it has to do with like, they got into a sense of permanence. This is my life. This is the structure to my life. This is who I am. And so I think there's, there's a resiliency and a nimbleness that comes with looking at things in more a seasonal kind of view yeah. that is so helpful because it it gives you a little bit more, um, I think, elasticity and how you're viewing things so that, you know what, if you're the one who wants to change things, great, change them when you're ready, change them when it's good for you. But on the other hand, sometimes we get a lot of change thrown at us that we never would have actually volunteered for. And if you're not, if you don't have that kind of resilience in how you're looking at things, um, it can make those things 10 times harder. You know, watching people lose a job. I'm, I'm always more worried about taking on a client who's been at the same company for like 20 years oh, yeah. than, I am with, than I am one who's like, 
oh, I took this new job. I can't stand my boss. I'm trying to figure out if I can make it work or if I just need to bounce, right? Like that to me is a much easier conversation to have because someone who's been at the same company for 20 years, they have a whole other set of attachments that they have. And sometimes they don't even realize them. And when you start talking about what do you want to do or how, like, and and they have their their friends are there. The way they have defined their success is there. The amount of money they make is there. everything is about mm-hmm. the life they've had inside this organization, and it can be so much harder because they've gotten out of the view of this is a season. And the irony of that is right is that we're in school. Everything is a season because you just got to get through the school year. Yeah. And then summer is a season, and then you have a new school year with a new teacher and new classmates. Yeah. And else and so we start off in a model that really facilitates that and then we we escape it we graduate from it and we move into oh no this is like this is permanent and it's like god no i hope not holy crap (laughs) oh no yeah no things things come and go and 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 i think you know it's sometimes it, it really hurts us to give up that you know what we try it for a while. We go yeah. through it. We we do our best. We commit and we go all in while we're there. Yeah. But at some point it ends. Even the best stuff ends. Yeah. You know, my, my last full time you know full time role was my dream job. Even though again working for people, mm, mm-hmm. nah, not so much. Like there were a lot of things about it on paper shouldn't have worked. But my I have never been happier going to work every single, and I was in the office at like, you know, six o'clock in the morning for God's sake. And I was wow. there until seven o'clock at night. And I was so freaking happy because I loved the team and what we were doing. It yeah. was like the perfect, it was just the perfect storm of everything until it started falling apart. And once it started falling apart, then I knew it was time to leave because the only reason <laughs> all of that was worth it for me was because there were a whole combination of factors that combined in a way that I had no, I had so little control over. Like it was not, it wasn't something that I could directly force one way or another. It just so happened. And I felt to this day, I feel so um, grateful that I was aware in the moment that I, I recognized I'd had enough jobs that were okay, but not great or bad or what or, or other ones that were perfect and, and they stopped being perfect for whatever reason. And so I was, I was very profoundly aware of being super grateful yeah. that I was just in the right place at the right time with the right people and that all the other things didn't have to matter because this part was perfect and the moment this part stopped being perfect, I knew it. And instead of getting angry or instead of trying to find a way to force it back or anything else, I knew that what made all of this perfect was starting to crumble and I could choose. I could write it out. Yeah. Or I could say, you know what? And it's what I did was I, I want to remember it the way it was perfect. And for me, that was very important. It was... I want to be grateful for it. I don't want to stick around and watch it fall apart because mm-hmm. that's going to make me angry and resentful and everything else. And I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to taint this experience with that. I would rather say, walk away now and say, you know what? It was in some ways the most perfect professional time of my life. I have no expectation that other circumstances are necessarily ever going to give me all of those things at once, but I had it once and I'm okay with it just being once, but I'm going to walk away now. I'm going to love everybody that I got to be connected with 
but I'm going to let it go. Um, and I couldn't have done that. And I didn't do that earlier in my career. Earlier in my career, when the perfect scenario started becoming less perfect, I would like, dig in and, and cling on harder. And, and, and then I would be angry and resentful and pissed off and upset and disappointed frustrated that it just wasn't good anymore why isn't it and you know and it's it, again this is one of those things that I love about age it's like you know what the season happens if you're really really lucky you're aware of it when it happens mm-hmm. and that means yeah. you're also aware when it starts to slip away in which case you have to decide how do you want to handle that because you can't force it back right. and so for me that became a question of a lady always knows when to leave the party, right? Like it was, it's just, you, you have to be able to find a way to move on. I didn't, I look back at the way I handled that sometimes when I was younger, not so proud of some of my choices. They were yeah. not, not a lot of dignity involved in some of those. And so, you know, as I've gotten older, I just, for me, what became more important was awareness in the moment and recognition that when it's gone, it's gone and you can't force it back. So say, thank you, be grateful close the door and move on. Yeah. I think one of the most powerful things you described there was there was a point where you you normalized your emotions and your feelings to begin to process it the right way. When when we keep everything a catastrophe in in World War 3 and all like it doesn't seem like we can wrap our arms around that. But when you could begin to say I'm not I'm not the first person to have life happen to me. And, and again, your circumstances are unique, but the overall scenario is not new. So you need to figure out how you need to process so you can, again, see it correctly, see it for what it is, but then move forward. And like I said, I love that you said, looking back at it, the signs were there, the cues were there, but I didn't react to them the right way. And so now with age, right, experience, right? With that, that statement really comes with experience and reps. But now what we're talking about is there is a level of consciousness that you now need to, it's almost like a speaking, right? Hear it before you say it um, kind of scenario. But in this, like feel it, then process it and do something with it before you go into those, those modes of blah, um, all, all at one time. So, and again, I'm like you, I, flying off the handle. I mean, it was went in charge, take charge or run people over, blow doors off the hinges. Like I was the whole, I was that dude. Like every, I could recall every single scenario where it was like dynamite needs to be involved every single time, blow stuff up. But then it was like, no, yeah, it's it's actually not a good thing. Like you actually might one day want to call people back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No. And I love, I love that point. Right. Because I think I think when we don't have the perspective to say, look, you know what, this is feeling a little familiar. I know I've yeah. been in this situation before and I know that I didn't like how I let things deteriorate at the end. Yeah. I need to make a different choice now. Yeah. Um, it's so easy. And God, again, it's such a like young thing to just like blow shit up on your way out the door, right? It's like, screw this, like the match. Yep. You know, and later you're like, oh god was that really necessary and especially and i think especially as you um as you move on and you realize like sometimes sometimes those relationships like you know one of the things that i've been 
total like weird random thing that that I never intended to be for my friends and my network is I'm I'm a job connector. I connect people to work all the time, even when I can't connect myself to a job, I connect other people to work. And and it didn't take long for me to realize that yeah, that actually is only possible if you don't blow shit up on your way out the door. Like, and, and you know that might not be everybody's thing, but the truth is. First of all, relationships take time and you can, you can, you can work with somebody every single day for, you know, two or three years and not have a great relationship with them. You leave and you find yourself in a different setting in a different context. And all of a sudden you become, you know, best friends. Like there, there are so many ways, but you can't, you know, you just, you don't want to spit in that well. Like it's not, that's not the way to cultivate that. And if you walk away and think, wow, that person was a schmuck and I never want to have to see them again. Great. But you don't need to slash their tires either metaphorically or literally so so really kind of i think maintaining that it's again to be that's back to maslow's hierarchy right how is this going to serve me does this does this help or or does it actually undermine any of the things in that pyramid that i actually need for myself and the odds are being destructive is usually something that boomerangs back on you one way or another. And I don't think that's necessarily super clear when you're younger. I think as you get older and you have more experience, you're like, oh shit, I never thought I was going to take that. Oh, you know, and like, and sometimes you just have to take it in the teeth and you're like, hmm, never thought that one was going to come back on me. Damn. Um, But again, like to me, that's one of those great things about being over 40. It's like, oh no, actually... I've learned that lesson a couple of times now. I don't need to repeat that particular pain. Thank you. Figure it out. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, good one today. You, yes. you take a good one today. Well, in, in any event, I think I think more than anything else, I love what you say about seasons, right? Because yeah. almost nothing, I mean, with the exception of, you know, chronic permanent medical conditions, right? Yeah. Almost nothing else is permanent. Yeah. Almost nothing else. And if, if you have to, if you have to suck it up and do something you don't want to do for a season, make sure you're clear on the reason, make sure you're clear on what your escape hatch looks like. You know what, if it's grandma going and you just got to suck it up until then, then at least you know what that is. If it's health insurance, or if it's paying off your mortgage, or if it's getting your kids off to college, whatever it is, like figure out what it truly is, clear away the cobwebs, clear away the white noise. Um, then sometimes it's just easier to figure out, you know what, there may be a couple of different paths to get me there. It doesn't have to be this one that I feel is like truly like sucking my soul out through my eyeballs. Cause that just gets tired every day. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Great one. Great one, Alora. Alrighty. Well, in that case, we are going to wrap for the week and we will be back next week. We're hitting, hit, coming back to our regular schedule. In that case, have a wonderful week, everyone. And Lawrence, you too. I'll talk to you soon. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.